Welcome to When Women Preach podcast on April 11th, 2019 with Kay Higira-Smith and Young Lee Hertig, who are co-member of Collaborative Inquiry Team funded by Louisville Institute for a more equal pulpit. Kay, do you want to say something? Yes. What we'll be talking about over the next several months in our episodes is why women should be preaching and what the benefits are. For both men and women in the church. Uh, I'm Young Lee Hertig, and I'm a co-founder and executive director of Isaac. Isaac is Innovative Space for Asian American Christianity for the sake of uh, collaborating with many other people of color who share Christianity as their faith. So I personally believe that uh, having lived through long enough, I noticed the backwards trend that during the mid-80s and 90s, we're talking about feminism and basically occupying pulpit movement as well. Our podcast deals with the topic, When Women Preach, and we want to encourage women in the Asian and Pacific Islander communities, as well as in Latino uh, churches, Latinx churches, we want to encourage people to be thinking about how can we get more women into the pulpits. And so today, we're going to be talking about issues regarding the numbers of women preachers that are in pulpits, what's holding them back, what has to be overcome. And we're also going to be talking about why it matters that women preach and why it matters specifically that Latina and API women preach. So, Kay, And then finally, mm-hmm. we'll end with asking, what can you do if you're a woman, if you're a pastor, if you're a church member, what can you do to encourage women preachers? For the audience's sake, those who do not know who we are, Kay, why don't you introduce your specialty? Yes, I am a professor of biblical and religious studies, and uh, I deal often with issues of gender and women in the Bible. And what I've seen in that is that uh, the Bible actually encourages women to preach. I have never imagined that in 21st century, we needed to work towards gender equality and gender equity. By then, I thought we would have already achieved gender equality in the church. And yet, many women still today are crying and suffering and mistreated in the church because they are a woman and they are not able to be ordained even though they have served the church more than 15 years, unlike their counterpart 
pressure from MDiv male candidates start up their ordination track and get a higher salary just because they are men. This is not acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, because of all of this, we really wanted to begin to get a public conversation about uh, when women preach. We want to talk about what happens when women preach, and we have to talk about the problem, which is that women are not preaching enough. So if that's the case, Young, what are some of the factors that you think are holding women back from preaching? What holds women back from preaching is not enough opportunities. They are being blocked, literally, with the Bible verses, First Timothy, weaponizing Bible verses to prevent women from exercise their God-given gift. And many follow complementarianists, and they justify biblically that men are the head and women are to be serving and serving. That's... Let's unpack a, a little bit of what you just said. Mm-hmm. Um, first, you mentioned that women are being blocked by weaponized Bible verses, and you mentioned First Timothy. Um, if I am listening to this podcast and I've never thought about this, I would say, how dare you infer that Bible verses can be weaponized? This is the word of God. Um, unpack that a little bit by what you mean by that. It was mainly approached and interpreted and appropriated by male exclusively from their lenses. And women being barred from any access to pulpit, we only have in the church male's interpretation of the passages they would not preach from maybe Book of Esther. (laughs) And many, in fact, API women, unlike African-American bishop named after Queen Vashti, API uh, churchgoers have never heard of someone like Vashti from their churches. So selected Bible verses are generalized as if that is the truth transcending time and space. Yes, and uh, add to that the issues that um, when you study something like gender, you really have to be thinking about the entire Bible. Exactly. So what has happened because women have not been at the table in interpreting yes. the Bible until just the last very few decades, mm-hmm. uh, what occurs instead is that uh, choices are made mm-hmm. as to how to reconcile passages in Scripture that seem to be inconsistent with one another. So, for instance, you have Paul in First Corinthians 11 mm-hmm. uh, seemingly very comfortable with the idea of women praying and prophesying in the church. 
And then you have this Pauline passage in 1 Timothy that seems to disallow that. We're going to have another episode later where we really dig into some of the issues in the Bible. Mm -hmm. But essentially what it sounds like you're saying in terms of weaponizing the Bible is by exclusively interpreting text to serve one group's interests at the expense of other groups. Exactly. Then those in power can use that interpretation to silence, to disallow, to... Uh, oppressed to discourage those women who have a real call by God to to preach. So what is it that, um, to echo what you just said, when even looking at Paul's own life's journey, I mean, when Paul says what he said in First Timothy, but when you look at Galatians, there's no male female, Jews, Gentiles. So why do men preachers select and prefer Paul's passages in First Timothy over against Galatians? Yes, or they interpret Galatians in a way that makes it irrelevant for this topic. So these are the kinds of questions we're going to be pushing over the next few episodes and uh, we're going to be going much deeper into those as well right. mm -hmm. uh, to argue not only for a strong biblical mandate for women preaching, but also for a strong mandate in terms of the health of the church. Now, another uh, comment you made earlier that I was hoping you could unpack a little bit is you mentioned a complementarian view. Uh, will you define that for our audience and define also what's been called an egalitarian view, which is the alternate view that our position would be much closer with? So complementarian views, it's one thing that a view exists that male and female roles ought to be differentiated in the way they exercise leadership. So that's what I mean by Bible verses uh, justified in the way that someone like Tim Keller uh, interprets that women are not to be ordained because the Bible said so. It's one thing to have that kind of theory. Yes, to add to that, uh, the theory itself argues that, uh, that males and females were actually created to complement one another, that that mm -hmm. neither gender on its own really stands alone, that, that it, our, our fullness comes in, in complementing one another. Uh, ironically, this is a relatively recent term. In the past, it was just assumed that patriarchy and that gender hierarchy were uh, the godly way to go. And so complementarianism is sort of a euphemistic way mm -hmm. to claim gender hierarchy and patriarchy, but to put it in terms that sound like they're dealing with gender equality, um, but in, in fact are not. And again, we will unpack that conversation and that debate, but I just wanted to make sure we have these, uh, these definitions mm -hmm. on the table. Uh, an alternative to a complementarian approach is an egalitarian approach, which argues that uh, males and females are equal before God mm -hmm. and before all humanity, and that in terms of 
how we understand the Bible and the church's role in the world, that women are equally called upon to preach and to proclaim the gospel along with men. In other words, reiterating what you just said as a biblical scholar, that women and men on their own reflect fullness, full image of God in the way God created. We don't need men complimenting as if there's a flaws in us. At that, when we look carefully at the biblical narratives, we see that indeed uh, many women do operate on their own. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but the Apostle Paul himself in 1 Corinthians 7 mm -hmm. tells us here is that he believes it's more important for them to be single so mm -hmm. that they have time to proclaim the gospel. So here again, we mm -hmm. see a suppressing mm -hmm. in the narrative of passages that don't line up with those, this construction of women and men as being complementary. So again, we'll talk about that complementarian view more, right. but we just want to introduce it as one of the uh, obstacles to um, women preaching. So things that are holding women back are um, particular interpretations of the Bible that silence women, a complementarian view, which has become very widespread worldwide, including in our API and uh, Latinx mm -hmm. churches. And, um, and I, so what we've seen then is that some of the, uh, some of the obstacles include we women ourselves, because mm -hmm. many women have internalized these narratives, these interpretations, these ideologies that really have not been carefully analyzed by mm -hmm. women until mm -hmm. recently. And not only that, but much of the work that's been done by women scholars of the Bible is not filtering down into the churches. No. And so we women ourselves often are the biggest, uh, the biggest barrier block, mm -hmm. <laughs> the biggest barrier to, to women preaching. So there's a lot of work to be done in terms of, um, challenging women who mm -hmm. hold those views, challenging pastors who hold those views, and challenging church members in general who hold those views, and helping them to understand that in holding those views, they are quenching the spirit. They are holding back women to do what in many cases they are gifted and called to mm -hmm. do. And so there's another group of people some of the male pastors say that they are all for gender equality, but there seems to be a huge gap between what they say, what they believe, and what they, how they behave. So action seems to be quite different from their belief that they proclaim. So I remember the attendees of Gender Summit 2, we recently held in February, many women and men alike said they've never heard of biblical hermeneutical scholars panel, the text of terrors that you all unpacked with Gail Yee and you and Unhi. They said they've never heard of it. 
Yes, I mean, that's one of the biggest issues is that there are many people who theoretically want to affirm women in ministry, Mm -hmm. but have never heard and don't know uh, the arguments in favor of that. And so this is a big reason for our podcast as well. That counter arguments have never been, you know, trickled down or up to the pulpit and in the church. So I think this compels me and motivates me to launch this podcast so that um, women can use an alternative medium before churches open up their pulpits. This is one of the ways I believe we can start disseminating uh, gifted woman preachers and what happens when they preach, when the majority of women sit in the pews more than men so that they recover their full humanity. For example, when I preach at an API church, I see the eyes of the woman sitting in the pews from some of my illustrations that men don't use. I think that's what really makes the difference. That is a great example of why it matters that women preach. Uh, There are women who have so much to say and so much to contribute Mm -hmm. to church life. And so often they're silenced, they're frustrated, they have this sense of God's call upon them, but every step they take, they see um, obstacles and boundaries in their way. What are some other reasons for why it matters that women preach? That, to me, is powerful sharing by Jeanette Oak, New Testament scholar at Azusa Pacific University. She was on the Pastora panel at the Gender Summit. The power of representation is also very formative. When she saw a female pastor with the rope and preaching when she was only, what, fifth grade, very young. And she was able to point to that woman pastor and say, someday I want to be like her. Yes, representation is huge. It wasn't until I had been a professor for, gosh, a couple of decades that I remembered when someone asked me, what was the first moment you decided you wanted to be a university professor? And I remembered that that first moment was when I was in a class with a woman professor. Mm -hmm. And it had never occurred to me in all those 20 years that uh, that moment was connected to the fact that I was with a with a uh, a woman professor, so representation mm-hmm. often operates on an unconscious basis, exactly. and yet it's very powerful. And speaking of woman professor, I still have vivid memory, visual memories of Karen Tojerson, the author of When Women Were Priests. She taught one course at Fuller Theological Seminary. All these women MDiv students flocked into her class. 
and the classroom was just full. And she unpacked, based on her book, when women were priests, from historical, you know, data. That was mind-blowing. We've never heard of that before. So, yes, uh, we not only have many examples in the Bible that we don't even realize are there or we have always been trained to read them through the lens of, of, uh, of uh, an androcentric or a male-centered mm-hmm. perspective. Um, we have women in history, women in church history that were preachers and teachers and, and who gave the Eucharist and who baptized and who healed. And we also have the reality that uh, even today, women's perspectives matter. Yes. We all know. And it's something, it's a truism. It's something that we understand in, in human experience that different people bring a different lens. Exactly. So if I am only looking through the window in a two-story house mm-hmm. of the living room, mm-hmm. I'll be able to see the living room, right. but I'll have no idea what's in that kitchen. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I'll have no idea what's in those other rooms. Mm-hmm. So whenever we look just through one window mm-hmm. and we only hear preachers that are looking in one window we are missing out what's in the house. And yet we still claim fullness of the body of Christ. I just don't see body based on 1 Corinthians 12. That how can you claim that you are the body when many parts are missing? So let's add to that uh, as we begin to reason why it is that it's important when women preach. Let's add to that the question, why is it important specifically when Asian American Pacific Islander women and when Latina women preach? For the sake of liberation of both male and female Christians, For API community in particular, we have Western German pietism and then filial pietism. Both reinforce even 10 times more powerfully and potently. And then it is dressed in as if it's a gospel message, as if that's what Jesus taught. So that implicit assumptions and the fusion of the two patriarchal horizons ought to be dismantled, deconstructed, and reconstructed by looking at the scripture in the way Jesus practiced his gospel. Yeah, I think some similar things are going on in the Latinx communities. And by the way, I should say I use Latinx. Um, it's always a challenge when we use this language in this nomenclature because uh, it tends to essentialize mm-hmm. people who come from Spanish-speaking countries. It mushes everybody together. Mm-hmm. I recognize that. I recognize it's problematic. Um, but I'm going to use it with those problems laid out. And I also use Latinx because I want to recognize that humanity includes the whole spectrum. 
mm-hmm. of uh, how we comprehend our identity, our gendered identity. That said, in Latinx communities, you have some similar uh, cultural dynamics going on. You mm-hmm. have a long history of assumptions about male dominance, mm-hmm. about male privilege, and you have many people accepting that as givens. And so much of what we want to do is interrogate all of those pre-assumptions. Mm-hmm. So what we're saying, I guess, is that both in API and Latinx communities, there are a lot of gender pre-assumptions that are in some ways unique to those communities, and we want to address those as well. So what are some of the things that our listeners can do? Well, if you're a woman, I think you might want to ask yourself, do I have had that calling? Have I experienced that sense of call? Is this something that I care about and maybe I should consider it for myself? If you're a pastor, you have to be asking, do I affirm women in ministry if you're a male pastor? And if so, why am I not doing more about it? If you're a male pastor that does not affirm it, take a listen and maybe your views will be challenged. And if you're church members, there's a lot you can do to encourage your own church people to begin to ask questions and to move on to this journey. I would also encourage both male, particularly male pastors, to be curious enough to ask questions themselves week by week, preaching, I hear their complaint, I have to write a sermon again. Hey, let a gifted woman preacher preach. You don't have to whine about having to preach. And for women sitting in the pew week by week by the same male preachers, I would also encourage you to stretch your imagination to see how come there are many biblical woman leaders and they're only talking about women should be silent in the church in 21st century. So one of the joys of working with UK for this uh, a more equal pulpit is that we discover so many gifted woman leaders. It was a riot when I had recently Woman Church Planters Zoom meeting. Holy Spirit was the connector. And these women are dynamite. And I would love to show and tell what the churches are missing out as they block these gifted women from preaching from their pulpit. So stay tuned because we will have these dynamite women church planters on this podcast and I want you to be curious who we would line up 